Relax. You're quite safe here. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com or you're subscribed and leaving a star rating and review on iTunes, never missing one single episode. Thank you especially everybody who does that. Well, if you are a friend of Rock Strikes 10, you know damn well that I am Kiss Army, Kiss Navy. Not that I brag about it or anything. No, that, that, that's a lie. I do. Uh, yeah, went to the cruise, saw him in Vegas, all that good fun. And it's been a long time since I did a Kiss-centric episode. Uh, so, I thought there was no better way to do a Kiss-centric episode than to bring on a guy who actually has a Kiss book out now, which you should definitely get. We're going to talk about that in detail. So please welcome to Rock Strikes 10, Mr. Brett Weiss. Thank you so much for coming on Rock Strikes 10. Sure, thanks for having me. Yes. Before we get into the book, you know, I'm going to ask you one of the general questions here. Yeah. What uh, What was your first exposure to Kiss? What ruined you for life? Well, I was born in 67, so, you know, when I hit eight years old, it was around the time Alive came out, and I had a brother four years older than me, a sister six years older, so they listened to a lot of Zeppelin, The Who, Heart, Journey, Van Halen, ACDC, and all this stuff, and Kiss. And so I had a good upbringing musically because nice. they had a lot of great records. More lucky than me, for sure. Yeah, well, in 75, Alive. I mean, I was just absolutely blown away by it. I heard Alive before I heard Dress to Kill, Hotter Than Hell and Kiss. Me too, yeah. Yeah, and I was just blown away by those songs. Just so much energy and passion and fire in that music. I mean, and I was actually a little set back when I went back and listened. You know, shortly after I discovered Alive and really got into Kiss, I started listening to the earlier records. And I thought they were kind of. I, I love those records. Sure. They're great records, especially Kiss. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I, but know, they sounded so much different to, than Alive. It's like, wow, these are like kind of slower, yeah. more. I don't know, yeah, but thinner, thin production on some yeah, of them. Yeah, but of them a little but bit I grew more. to love those as well. Sure. And yeah. so, uh, but yeah, like listening to Calling Doctor Love live and listening to it on the record is a completely different experience, and you can yeah. like both for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we're getting up a little bit with oh, Alive okay. too and everything, okay. but. Um, but anyway, but yeah, Kiss Alive, and then my brother got Alive too for Christmas. I remember that, and I would glom on to that, and yeah. so I started buying Kiss albums after that. Nice. And yeah, yeah. Speaking of Alive too, like if anybody ever has to ask me why, when it comes to Kiss, all mm -hmm. you have to do is hopefully you have a, a vinyl copy of Alive Two on hand. Yeah, open the gatefold. There's pretty much no questions. Right, that, you know, that big concert that. scene. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. shot is, I mean, you know. Yeah. However, Photoshop that that is at this point now that we know in retrospect, but. That is the shot. And well, that, see, that's the one. yeah, and even music critics, I mean, music critics pretty much hated Kiss from the beginning, more or less, you know, percentage-wise. Yeah, oh yeah. But even they had to admit that Alive and Alive 2 were good albums, especially Alive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you, it's hard to take yourself seriously as a music critic, and even as biased as you can be against Kiss, you have to admit that Kiss, Alive is a great album. Oh, and it changed the industry, too. I mean, everybody started yeah. really putting out live albums, and right. it, it became... A, a you know something that they would actually promote as opposed to just putting out for 
points on a record. Yeah. Making the encyclopedia, I read that. Uh, yeah, and by the way, the book is called the Encyclopedia of Kiss. Yeah. You can get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. There's probably a ton of other ways you can. You get go it. to brettweisswords.com. You go to my website and find links to all my books. I write books about video games as well. So just b r e t t w e i s s dot com and Amazon is. Amazon, a lot of people like to go that route because there's usually a you know a discount or it's easy. People have you know free shipping or whatever if they've sure. got Amazon Prime. But when I was researching the book, I saw that Gene Simmons had the idea for a double record from ZZ Top. Yeah, Fandango. Yeah, yeah. and they put ZZ Top put some original songs yeah. on like it was on the splits. It was on the B side and the yeah. live album was on the A side. Right, and Gene liked the yeah. idea of putting yeah. some new songs on a live album that you know. And a lot of people don't like. This sort of relates to what we're talking about today, but it's it, it's not on my list. Yeah. But a, a lot of people don't, even a lot of Kiss fans don't necessarily like side four of Alive 2 with yes. All-American Man and all right. that. I love those songs. Yeah. I think they're awesome. Most people seem to say that the, the general consensus is that Rocket Ride, people tend to love Rocket Ride. Yeah. A lot of people do like Larger Than Life, but the mm-hmm. rest of it they don't Like really All-American Man, they yeah. said it. But I, I love all those songs. Yeah, I know right. Paul doesn't like rocking in the USA, for sure. Well, like, so it's funny. Paul is probably Kiss's biggest critic, Paul yeah. and Gene. Oh, yeah. They're always insulting things that fans love. I know, I they'll, know. They'll talk about how terrible the Elder is. They'll talk about, well, I didn't like the use of the Calliope and uh, Flaming Youth. Flaming Youth, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Paul, that was genius to put a Calliope <laughs> yeah. in Flaming Youth. Yes. We love that. That was love That's excellent. Bob Ezrin is a genius for sure. And that's kind yeah. of the reason we're here today. Right. And yeah, I'll get up on a few more rants before we get to the music. Yeah. But basically, <laughs> right. I, I invited Brett down here. And I, I honestly, and I'll tell you the truth, I actually had this idea a few weeks ago when I was going to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I saw on your Facebook, literally last night, yeah. uh, you you listed, hey, does anybody have any Kiss songs that you love that everybody seems to hate? Right. And I was like, my God, I was going to have <laughs> them on for this exact same reason. You know, like it tweaked it a little bit. Well, I but, think there's some Kiss, like, karma or brain waves or something that goes around kiss kiss fans tend to you know kiss fans have arguments over you know should tommy be in the band or whatever but but there's definitely thought processes that go on like that i think the thing we can most agree on Mm -hmm. i think almost with you know the member stuff aside the thing we can most agree on as hardcore fans is the set list and we can really rip it apart. <laughs> there are times where it's like, okay, that was a good set list. Right. But over the last few years especially, and to the point where Paul has now even given an interview recently saying, you know, the, basically defending the, the lack of changing up the set list. Well, and and, and well, in a world where, you know, I can go see, and, you know, I'm not trying to beat up Kiss, I'm a fan, yeah. but, like, I went to go see Alice Cooper just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I see him on every tour. He changed his set list at a very minimum, he changed his set list about 75% from the previous wow. year. Wow. And so you tell me... Well, it's like, funny. Kiss, it's not like they would be too lazy to relearn these songs no. because they're a very hard-working band. Yeah, but and Tommy and I, Eric are like kind of the historians in a way. Yeah, yeah. right. And but Paul has said before that there's a reason they're hits because they're better songs than the album cuts. He's got a very hit-minded brain. I mean, yeah. he, he really... Uh, he said the reason those other songs weren't his was because they're not as good. Well, I don't really agree with that always. Yeah, and the, but the thing that he shoots himself in the foot with mm-hmm. is that you can make a list of their released singles mm-hmm. over the last 40-plus years, and a lot of those aren't on the set list. And <laughs> right. it's not, okay, yes, some of them were not big hits per se, yeah. but they have an exposure and a familiarity that even if you haven't heard said song in 20 years, like, Oh yeah, when you hear it live, like yeah, I remember that song. That's right. a good song. Yeah, 
And so, like, he doesn't even focus on certain single releases that, I mean, there's a vast canon of songs they could switch out. Yeah. And they're not being, they're not pandering to the quote-unquote vocal minority. Right, They're yeah. actually going by single releases. Yeah. So by that rationale, you could play Sure Know Something Live. Right. You could play more than just Tears Are Falling from Asylum. Uh-huh. Yada, yada, yada. So agreed. He shoots himself in the foot with that argument of like the hits thing, and he's and the reason he said Psycho Circus is a classic is because Paul made that a classic in his own band and his own mind. Because mm-hmm. that single did tank as yeah. a single, but it's a good but song. It, it's a good song, yeah. but they made it by playing it. They made it a classic. It, it's right. almost like they're radio programmers. They're like, we play it enough. <laughs> right. We play it enough. It'll become a kiss classic. Yes. Yeah, perception right. is reality. Yeah. So that, well, I really liked Psycho Circus when it came out because I was so excited about the reunion. Yeah, me too. And I never saw Kiss and Makeup back in the day because I didn't start going to concerts until I was 15. Yeah. And by that time, they had just taken off the makeup because yeah. when my friends got cars and when I got a car is when I started going to concerts. So I didn't see them until like the Lick It Up tour. Wow. And so... Uh, I'm jealous of the first time I saw him was Hot in the Shade. So. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I guess I am kind of old. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about him. It is worry. cool to, to date back that far, to have seen him, you know, when I was 15 at Lick It Up. Yeah, 16, you got to see, see Vinny. Oh, yeah. You know, a, lot, a lot of people can't say that. That's another story altogether, because sure, I was a big sure. Ace fan. <laughs> oh, wow. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was really excited in 96 when the... the Reunion tour, oh. and I mean, I was watching, I was sitting there watching the Grammys when they came out. Oh, and me too. Tupac, wasn't it Tupac or Tupac, somebody that? Yeah, yeah, yeah Tupac him. introduced him. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, and I used to do this thing. I used to actually like have a tape ready on award shows for when mm-hmm. people I liked came on or oh, yeah. play live. So I never taped the whole show. Actually, if I was watching it live, you know, I'd just click out, click the record on, off, stop. Right. So I didn't get the intro because you know I was like you know Tupac whatever yeah. you know whatever whatever <laughs> right. you know it is what it is. But then, as soon as like they came around the corner, I was like, well, ah, you know, you like I just like hit record, hit record." You know? Yeah, like, what and, the hell? and it's funny seeing them the first time. Kind of reminded me of Star Trek: The Motion Picture because they're all a little rounder, <laughs> but they just have a the bit, just a little bit. Yeah, but they all, they all have they have the right look and the yeah. right costumes, and yeah. they're you know some of my favorite iconic you know pop culture figures. So it's still them. They're just a little older, a little rounder. Yeah, yeah. but still awesome. So yeah, you're probably wondering. Okay, well, obviously we're doing a Kiss show this week on Rock Strikes Ten. And I alluded to this earlier. We're going to do, basically, splitting the ten list. Brett gets five, I get five. And we're going to focus on... uh, I wanted to call it hated Kiss songs, but that's kind of a subjective term. It's basically in uh, songs that either... Okay, they may not appear on a set list, but on the other part, this is where I went with mine, and I don't know if this is what you did, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, songs that even like a lot of hardcore fans, you never hear them call out for. So these are the songs right. that almost just get no love. Yeah. So I'm actually going with songs that get like almost next to nothing, or they actually even get dogged by right. a lot of. Uh, it's like everybody fans. yells out strange ways, but people don't yell out some of these songs that we're going to exactly. talk about. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we're on the same level here. Yeah. Brett's going to take the makeup, the original makeup era. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah right. Obviously, the original makeup era, 74 yeah. through 82. Mm-hmm. I'm taking everything afterwards, and that's how we're going to do it. We're going to start off with some vintage 70s original Kiss era. What have you got? What's a good kickoff track for your list? Well, track? I went in uh, chronological order of songs, and I could have used like Kissin' Time off Kiss, but 
people talk and, about that one a lot, so I skipped yeah, ahead a little bit. I like bit. Kiss in Time. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I think I like almost every Kiss song. <laughs> yeah, and I think they played Kiss in Time once with the current lineup, and that uh-huh. one, but that was like in Japan or something. Right, yeah. So, you know, or, yeah, Japan gets a different yeah. set list because, you know, they like, a few different things. They like Unmasked. Australia the same stuff. way. Yeah, yeah, Australia loved Unmasked and yeah. everything. I think they played Kiss in Time at some casino like mm. about eight years ago. We'll go right. with that because I'll get an email if I don't get that. Right. right. So. One thing about Kiss fans are sticklers. You're going to hear about it if you flub a, a line. Or, yes, we could smell our own. Yes. So I'm going with uh, Great Expectations from Destroyer. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Do you mind if I play the what I consider now the real version, the Bob Ezrin remix oh, on the, slash remastered go for from it. Destroyer Resurrected? Sure. The thing about that is, and I said this actually a few weeks ago on the show, is that I believe the Destroyer Resurrected is the true Destroyer now because mm-hmm. it's not so much a remix as it is basically using uh, rolling it into a new board and you can open up the channels louder. Mm-hmm. So this is stuff that had to get buried in the mix or even just muted altogether. Right. And it's the full version of the album as it was tended to be. Sounds like a, I mean, that's a perfect reason to remake, to, re- to re-release an album. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's all like Great Expectations. Yeah. It's like hearing it for the first time if you haven't heard the resurrected version. That sounds cliche, but it's true. So yeah, let's let's get to some music, and of course we're gonna get into some more Kiss Geek talk, which I love. I can do it all day. So, but kicking off this episode here of Rock Strikes Ten with Brett Weiss, author of the Encyclopedia of Kiss. This is Great Expectations. <laughs> You're sitting in your seat And then you stand and clutch your breast Our music drives you wild Along with the rest You watch me singing the song You see what my mouth can do And you feel what my fingers can do And you wish you were the one I was doing it too Well listen And you wave and call my name But in the dead it seems That I'm a million miles away You watch me beating my drum And you know what my hands can do And you wish you were the one I was doing it too
Myself and Brett Weiss's list of of not so popular Kiss songs. I'll have a t- I'll have a real clever title for this <laughs> when I post it. I promise. But that was Great Expectations, of course, off of Destroyer, a song that uh, there's a lot of fun stories about that. I've read about that song in multiple books. I mean, it's almost like a, a short story unto itself. Plus, you got the Harlem Boys Choir on there and uh, the Brooklyn Brooklyn Brooklyn. yeah Yeah, according to the Encyclopedia of Kiss it's the Brooklyn Boys Choir (laughs) yes no that's that's right now that you say it I was like yes that is right and Bob Ezrin on Symphony Orchestra conducting Mm. there's a a fun story about Bob Ezrin conducting for Alice Cooper when they first started bringing in string guys Mm -hmm. and like sometimes you know mini orchestras even into full orchestras so they bring these guys in and they're like what do these guys know about this and so uh, you know, he'd, he'd get them all in there, get them warmed up, do a couple of run-throughs, and then he's like, oh, okay, break for lunch. Uh, have you heard this story? Mm-hmm. So he goes, well, break for lunch. You know, he goes in there, and he goes and detunes one of the violins, like, you know, D strings or something. He'll, something. Yeah. And then he'll go, okay, everybody uh, warm up, and you do your little warm-up thing, and then he goes, oh, you, you over there. Um, I think your your E string's a little flat. You might want to roll that. And as soon as he did that, the whole room was like, "Oh, this guy no, so he's knows his shit." <laughs> so Bob Ezrin is a genius right. for, for things such as in that. more ways than one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Evil genius. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. What is it? Uh, what is so? What is it about Great Expectations for you? Well, I think it's kind of a pretty song, and to use the word "pretty song" in the context of Kiss had to be a little off-putting in 76 yeah. for a lot of people because mm-hmm. you know they're used to the down and dirty stuff of hotter than hell and some of those songs and then uh destroyer comes out defies expectations you've got orchestration you've got strings you've got all these effects and everything yeah. and great expectations just kind of brings a lot of that out and some people can't really take gene simmons seriously singing but to me it sounds good i think his voice sounds good in the song yeah. and i think it I think it, it speaks the truth of how a lot of fans get so caught up in, into their onstage heroes. Yeah. It's a little sexist, you know, if you listen sure. to it, but oh, yeah. it's Kiss, yeah. so, yeah. you know, so what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but, but 
I mean, hey, go to a concert, watch the female fans near the front. I mean, they're losing their minds. Watch yeah. the, go back to the Beatles, watch that. I mean, they're just in hysterics. So it speaks truth, and it's just a it's it's just a pretty song. It's just a beautiful song. I'm, I'm in full agreement. And hey, if a choir is good enough for the Rolling Stones, it's good enough for Kiss. Exactly. <laughs> that, the Stones are always the catalyst for it. The Stones did it. Disco. Stones did it. Right. You know, so the Stones are everybody's scapegoat. Well, you know, one thing, right, well, when I saw the Stones at in Arlington at the Cowboy Stadium. Oh, yeah, you heard the echo of the Stones. Uh, it's great. Well, yeah. what was cool is they used the uh, the local choir yeah. from UT Arlington. Yeah. They used their choir up on stage, and I just, I was just, these are young people, obviously, yeah. they're in college, and I'm yeah. thinking, I hope one person up there realizes what an amazing experience yeah. this is. Because some of them, you know, they're just like, whatever, just a bunch yeah. of old people exactly. yelling. But I hope one person up there fully appreciated how how awesome that there was. There had to have been at yeah. least one. Yeah, somebody whose parents yeah. drilled it oh. into them or something. Oh yeah. What absolutely. a what a what an experience. Yeah. All right. Oh, one oh, more thing about else? Great Expectations. There's a really cool version in uh, Kiss Symphony Alive Four. Yeah, I love that version. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. So that you definitely you know listeners should definitely seek that one out. I recommend that one a lot too, actually, uh, because before I even bought the DVD or the CD mm-hmm. or anything. I actually went to one of those movie screenings where they showed, they actually showed in order Act 3 and then Act 2. It was a really hmm. weird screening. And yeah. I don't know if that was my theater or everybody got it that way, but I do remember Great Expectations was the highlight of the night for yeah. me because I, I never thought in a million years I'd ever play it live, first right. of all. And the fact that they were able to do it exactly With an the orchestra. way it should be yeah. orchestra and kids' choir. And it was just... That was song was made for that performance. Yeah, so it actually did give me the, the proverbial chill that yeah. makes it all worthwhile. Right. So. so if you don't like Great Expectations, re-listen to it on Kiss Love, Symphony Love 4. Maybe oh, it'll yeah. change your mind. It, 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 it might, actually. Yeah. And just the presentation of the visual as well. Even. Right. All right. So, yeah, I basically like... You could throw a dart almost at anything <laughs> post right. the, you know... Yeah, I have. I, I feel like I have it a lot easier than you do uh, mm-hmm. as far as this list. I'm just gonna go with personal favorites because that's this stuff definitely never gets played. I mean, as far as '80s Kiss, especially, what are you gonna hear live if you go see them tomorrow? If you get lucky, you get Tears Are Falling, right? Which uh, is a great song. Great song, love it. Yeah, uh, you, you definitely get Look It Up. Look mm-hmm. It Up is yeah. part of the pantheon. Which I'm, of stuff I'm not that, crazy about that song live. I, 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 the song is good on the record. It hit me at a good time. It came out when I was a yeah. teenager at working. Absolutely, I was working at a local barbecue restaurant. Lick it up would come on the radio, and I'd get real excited because I grew up in an era when Kiss wasn't played on the radio, yeah. especially in Dallas Fort Worth. The Zoo and Q102 had anti-Kiss bias, oh, big time. Man. And so I would hear Lick it up on the radio, but I'm not a big fan of it live. Yeah, I have my. The chorus go, sounds off live for some reason. I don't know why. It's not so much that. And, you know, I do appreciate the little won't get fooled again thing they throw in nowadays. <laughs> right, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, I have a love-hate with it mm-hmm. live because that could definitely be a bathroom break if I have yeah. to go. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, wow. And, and they don't play Heaven's on Fire anymore. That's the other thing. I'm just like That's a that. cool love song. Yeah, and that's yeah. always been a fan favorite. And right. it was a big hit, actually. I remember her, that song was at bars and clubs and dance clubs yeah. heavens on fire was all over that oh yeah that was really cool yeah and you know as as much maybe if not more so than look it up mm-hmm. was yeah uh so yeah 80s for me and this is where i came in mm-hmm. i came in as an asylum kid like right. literally asylum was the first young whippersnapper but I was still like, you know, they were calling me an old soul at that age because I was... How old were you when that 
at that time? I was seven. Wow. Yeah. So I was listening to stuff that like the high schoolers were listening to. You know, whether I should just be listening to whatever was on Top 40 all day, every day. That's exactly how I was. I was, listen- I was listening to full-blown rock and roll when I'm seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah. You know, instead yeah. of the bubblegum stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I was aware of Kiss. I knew that there was these guys that wore makeup. But I also knew, I had watched enough Radio 1990, there's a reference for you. Yeah. And Night Flight and <laughs> yeah. Friday Night Videos. So I knew that Kiss was a non-makeup entity. Right. And... The first one that came out while I was like completely aware of this band was Asylum. So I'm always going to have a massive soft spot for Asylum. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll make that the one I play here right now. I'm going to play a uh, the second track on the record. I almost love this whole record on principle, but since I am, I had like no Gene songs when I made my original <laughs> list, which which is weird because I love Gene. But, you know, obviously, you know, it's not just revisionist history that Paul definitely held a better end of things, right. you know, in the 80s. But, you know, by the time the 90s rolled around, it started to get a little more 50-50. But since I'm talking Asylum, I'm going to play this cut off of Asylum. It's the only Gene song on my list. But I dig it. And this is Any Way You Slice It.
All right, there you go. Uh, a couple of oddball things that you don't hear on a lot of Kiss songs is in this song. For instance, uh, a massive amount of electronic drums during mm-hmm. the breakdown in the middle, and that good old rock and roll breakdown that I can't remember another Kiss song, even back in the 70s where they did that. I mean, like, and in 1985, like the last year, you'd expect to hear something like that, and they that's why that song has always kind of stuck out for me. Right. But I'll just say as a whole, that song actually more just represents the Asylum album that I think that they, besides Tears Are Falling, ignore. And I think All Night would go over well live. I think Who Wants to Be Lonely would do all right. Yeah. Yeah, Who Wants to Be Lonely is a pretty solid song. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big Jean Bouvois fan, so, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, love that guy. So he he contributed some great pop rock to Kiss. Yeah. And and also he played on those, uh, he played on Animal Eyes and Asylum quite right. a bit. He did quite a bit of heavy lifting yeah. for him. So the fifth kiss, yeah, one yeah. of the many fifth kisses. <laughs> yeah, and some of my favorite, like I, I love a lot of those, like just Paul only songs. Yeah, you know? so I love right. Shandy and I love All Night. And yeah, he's the only Kiss member on that tra- those tracks. So. Right. Yeah, there you go. Eric's, some of these songs during the eighties were basically yeah. Paul Stanley solo oh, yeah. songs. Oh yeah, of, absolutely. So. so, and yeah, we'll get into some more of those albums coming up. Let's go back to the seventies machine. Or at least uh, maybe we have something from at least 74 through 82. Brett, what have you got for us? Well, continuing chronologically, next we've got Then She Kissed Me. Oh, wow. Now, this is a song I rarely meet anybody who likes. Now, nobody likes... Do you like this song? I have no problem with it. I'll be honest. This is one of those things, all my favorite bands, like, I mean, I love the Beach Boys version Mm -hmm. of it. Of course, it's a Crystal song. Bruce Springsteen did it. Yeah. Uh, Cher did it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those songs, I mean... I understand the rationale, like, in retrospect, uh, I think it was maybe Paul that said in the book, like, that song needs to be covered, like, I Want to Hold Your Hand needs to be covered. Right. But, you know, they chose to do it at that time as opposed to doing an Elvis cover. I know that was the big controversy. At well, time, so. it was co-written, it was originally co-written by Phil Spector, and it was recorded by The Crystals, 1963, and that song actually shows up, the Crystals version of it, the original shows up on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs uh, from 2004. Uh, as number 493 it's a definitely a solid pop tune but i love the way kiss does it because so much kiss stuff was just you know about one night stands or how much people loved them yeah you know very self-indulgent stuff very braggadocious but then she kissed me is just sort of this sincere and they covered it very sincerely and it's romantic and it's has a good beat i just love it and i loved it ever since i first heard it back in the when that album came out and i went and bought it at kmart and it, you know, Love Gun's a pretty trashy song, which is cool. I mean, it's down and dirty rock and roll. Sure. I'm fine with that. That's great. But then it ends with Then She Kissed Me, which is just kind of a touching, just kind of a odd ending. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that threw a lot of people off, but I yeah. just absolutely loved it. I think it's a great song. Yeah. I love that they still kept the castanet in the song. Dude. Right, That's yeah. That's my big uh, mark out for that every time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and and see, Kiss does it. Kiss will do A lot of people think, okay, well, Kiss will use a gimmick here and there. Well, in my mind, as a biased Kiss fan, no, they're experimenting, and I think they've been very successful with a lot of their experiments, like the Calliope we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Then She Kissed Me is a... Is a is a, love that song big favorite of mine no problem with that at all and yeah of course from 1977's love gun the final track this is then she kissed me
Alright, and of course, yes, the, the sex reversal of the title. Then she kissed me, as opposed to then he kissed me. Right. Off of Love Gun. I remember actually when that deluxe edition of Love Gun came out, about I think it was about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And then I do the thing I do when, even when I get new records. I listen to it on the headphones without any kind of interruption. So I listen to it top to bottom. That one really stuck out, too. Good remastering on that. That's the, that's from the deluxe edition that you heard right there. But, yeah, it, it I reinvigorated my love for that version, actually, with the deluxe edition. Because, cool. you know, sometimes you do maybe let, uh, you know, maybe a certain book, no offense, or mm-hmm. it, just fans online or mm-hmm. whatever kind of sway you sometimes. It's yeah. there. It, it, maybe it's subconscious, but people will just go. And the, the other thing I hate is that, Fans will quote something that a member said, but that's not their original thought. That's something that a band member said. Right. And I hear that so many times. I see it so much. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, if you just let yourself go, I think most people would just completely enjoy that, despite the fact they've never played it live. Mm -hmm. Uh, Never. Uh, I think... And there's actually a lot of songs on Love Gun they've never played live. Mm-hmm. And even the stuff, some of the stuff on Alive too, they never played right, live. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, and I think nothing wrong with that. That's a cool choice. I, yeah. I did not expect to hear that on the show this week, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. So that's what this cool. show is all about. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'm going to go with this one here. I talked about Jean Beauvoir earlier, and he definitely played bass on this song. I'm going to go with the song from Animal Eyes. This is a song that was actually a single. It actually had a music video to it, and I believe this song was played just strictly on the Animalized tour. It was dropped. I'm almost positive about that, but it's a song called Thrills in the Night. Yes. I, dang, I'm getting a thumbs up. Love Thrills in the Night. Oh, yeah. And I, I tell you, the other thing, and I'll give a shout to Ken over on podcast. I remember a very early episode, they played a demo of it that I've never heard before, and it, definitely at some point if they ever put out like a deluxe of Animal Eyes I think it'd be great if they took the Animal Live Live Uncensored Audio and made that part of a deluxe reissue yeah so oh absolutely yeah, I had the VHS you yeah. know from back in the day and I still have that oh who didn't wear that one out oh gosh man. yeah oh. but uh I really dig Thrills of the Night I've always thought that it was a neat song it if you really break it down like real fanboy like it's the sequel to She and hmm. yeah that that's how I view it at mm-hmm. least it's it's almost the same exact style of song as far as the commentary of the woman in question. Yeah. I think just the fact that Paul's singing and not Gene, no one ever thinks that this could be the sequel to She, but I truly believe Never that Never thought it of is. it that way. But the other thing I really love about this song in the demo version, and you can find it easily on YouTube, it's it's Paul, Jean Beauvoir, Mark St. John, and Eric Carr. And it sounds like the tiniest room they're playing this in, probably at the record plant. Mm-hmm. And... It really accents just how great that riff is during the verse. Right. That's what that's what does it for me. I mean, the production on this song, I think, is shit hot. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's just got a great, huge feel to it. Well, it's it. my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you, I'm with yeah. you on that. Absolutely. Uh, by a mile. I mean, yeah. I would probably call Thrills in the Night, I wouldn't necessarily, just in my opinion, I wouldn't necessarily call it a song a lot of people don't like. I would call it an undiscovered gem, like more of a, like maybe a Dark Horse favorite or yeah. something like that. Because I don't hear a lot of people bagging on it, but you don't hear it enough in top 10 lists exactly. or favorites or anything like that. And, and I think it's probably I'm, overlooked. Uh, yeah, and that's where I'm coming from on my yeah. list for sure. And like I said, that riff during the verse is, is great. It's just a, such a cool rock you yeah. know, riff. And it's just kind of buried there in the vocals, but the right. demo. That's why you should listen to the demo because you can really hear that riff just have yeah, I've never heard life the demo. to it. Cool, really cool. Well, it, that song has a a great drama sound. You know, I love songs that sort of 
evoke like a, a dramatic atmosphere, and I think yeah. that it, it definitely does. Sort of a film noirish sound to it. Yeah. So here we go. We're gonna play some thrills of the night, and you're gonna enjoy this one. Turn it up as loud as you can, and we'll be right back with Brett Weiss, author of Encyclopedia of Kiss. Take it away, guys. Good choice. Thanks. <laughs>
I, th- I think I might actually have a theory on why that song might not have survived past the Animalized tour. Is it like even when you watch it on the Animalized live DVD, I think it's probably the song that goes over well the least on on that whole show. Mm-hmm. Even though the band's just high energy throughout, it's like you, they're trying their butts off to get yeah. the song over, but I. I I don't think it's registering, but I think they should have committed to it for a couple more tours. Maybe at least, maybe through the first part of the next tour. Do you to think see it's if, just a, better as a studio song? I think it's one of those things, the production on it's so good. Yeah. That one's really hard to pull off on stage. Yeah. And Unholy always had that to it as well. That was another song that even Bruce Kulick said, I don't think we ever fully realized Unholy Live. And it oh, got a little man. better. They I never the, really thought of that because I saw Kiss at the Dallas City Limits when they were when they were you know warming him up or whatever. Eric Singer. Yeah. Were you the, there? The, at the that club show? tour? No, I was. Too you were young. probably young. I was Sorry. too young. I was I was like fifteen. I couldn't go. Yeah. Well, a friend <laughs> a friend of mine that worked at Diamond Comic Distributors when I was working for Lone Star Comics, he had he told me, "Hey, man." I know somebody that can get us tickets to oh. this. Do you want it? It's like, oh, dude, are you kidding? Because that thing sold out. In a it minute. was incredible. Yeah. I was right up to the stage. I was looking straight up at Gene Simmons. Oh. And to me, Unholy Live was just amazing because I was right there. It's no, a new I song. Get, I get that. So, I yeah. mean, it probably did better in the clubs. Like, when it got to the arena tour, like, uh-huh. even on a live three, like, yeah, it's it's not quite there. It doesn't come across as much. I think huh. that was, it's, there's just a few songs they have that I yeah. think are true studio songs. Right. And not that they don't have the talent to play them because they're obviously playing all the Some notes. songs are just better in the studio. Yeah. I think that might be the the knock on that song. Yeah. But I still love it. I mean, that yeah, we were saying while we were listening to it, that song should be on classic rock radio oh, like yeah. in regular rotation 92.5 should be playing it but instead they play the same songs over yeah. and over and again. they don't even what play kiss if they play kiss they're playing rock and roll night and maybe detroit rock city and yeah. that's the only songs i've ever heard them Tere- play. don't get me started on terrestrial no, yeah, I know, I know. terrestrial classic rock radio just yeah. sucks so no, bad yeah. <laughs> yeah that's why people listen to good rock and roll podcasts like this that's right. or at least have sirius xm yeah so I'm very curious as to what is next on your list. Well, this next song, I didn't actually like it when it first came out. Ooh. Okay, Gene Simmons' solo album. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, I know a lot of people are, are lukewarm on Gene Simmons' solo album. A lot of people flat out don't like it. I absolutely love it. I think it's a great record. It's an eclectic mix. Beatles influence, Lon Chaney influence. Uh, it's it's a very personal record for Gene Simmons. He had some cool guest stars like Katie Segal and uh, Joe Perry Bob and Seger. Bob Seger. Bob yeah. Seger doing background vocal stuff. Great. I love that album. Yeah. But there was one song on it I couldn't stand. I just thought this is ridiculous when he did "When You Wish Upon a Star." Ah. I thought this is absurd. He sounds bad singing it. But years later, when I read his ambition for singing it, mm-hmm. or, or his not ambition for singing it, his uh, motivation for singing it. Yeah was because that when he came to America and heard that song when he was watching Pinocchio, he believed it in the American dream. And everybody knows how patriotic Kiss is and how grateful Gene Simmons is to be in America. Well, that song just epitomized everything he thought about America and living in America. And so I listened to it from, you know, as an older person and reading the interviews and everything, I hear it with a different ear. And it's actually kind of a touching song now. And... uh, during the production phase of that, they left his voice cracking in because it's authentic yeah. instead of editing it out. It's not a gr- I mean, you can listen to Janis Joplin and Neil Young and say they don't have good voices if you're looking at, at it from a technical standpoint. Sure. You can listen to that 
when you wish upon a star and say it's not a good song from a technical standpoint, but just from a heart and emotion, exactly. it's a it's a good song. I, I enjoy it. I can't argue with you on that. Yeah. And I have I have no problem with anything on Gene Sullivan. I, I was even while you were talking there, I was trying to think: is there anything I don't like on that album? Oh, Man and of I a like, Thousand Faces is oh phenomenal, man. and and it was such a great payoff when they did See You Tonight on Unplugged. Yeah, That's a, that was a moment right there. That was I've, excellent. I've actually right. played that cold for people and not tell them it's Kiss, and yeah. they think. Well, this band definitely knows the best part and understands the best part of the Beatles. Beatles, right? And yeah, yeah it, it goes. Like, is saying. this the Dave Clark Five? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, like we were talking about Great Expectations. The song that I always think of, like the song I always want to hear after Great Expectations, besides the obvious next song on Destroyer, would be Always Near You, Nowhere to Hide. Oh yeah, because like that's him taking a chance, right? And I think it completely pays off. I mean, yeah. like that's what he should have been doing on his solo album mm-hmm. and yeah ace and paul's kiss solo albums are great but they took zero chances on him yeah gene took all the chances and got all the flack but i mean i think that even that album is great in its own way and once again gene simmons will denigrate his own solo you know he'll denigrate yeah. the, and i'm just like dude it's a great record Shut yeah up. yeah exactly like, i mean it, it's it's and some people just can't handle it because it's too different from yeah. kiss's regular songs yeah. but i think it's an excellent album and really interesting to listen to yeah it's almost like performance art in the sense that he was trying to throw off the fan base because i mean you listen to the the entrance to radioactive yeah even the entrance to burning up with fever right. where he kicks off the song and nothing kicks off except this weird guitar yeah interlude. this plunky like yeah yeah so like right. he completely did that on purpose mm-hmm. there's no way he didn't yeah so and you know and i, I, I think, think living in sin is should be you know a number a top 10 hit you know yeah. just it's one of those but anyway, so When You Wish Upon a Star, just a little bit about it. Uh, it was written by Lee Harline and Ned Washington for Pinocchio, the brilliant 1940 Disney animated film, which incidentally is my second favorite Disney film of all time, in part because of the the, the song, which was sung by Cliff Edwards as Jiminy Cricket. It opened, it's in the opening credits and the final scene of Pinocchio. Obviously, the Gene Simmons version can't touch the original, but it's a great homage to that song, and it really speaks to how you know much Gene loves the whole American dream and that, that whole thing. Yeah, and you're gonna hear it fade in right now. Dreams. Nothing else is true. 
from Gene Simmons 1978 solo album which actually as the, on the day we're recording this is the anniversary of the solo albums which were of course released all four in the same day they shipped probably what four million copies in yeah, one day yeah a little like 1.5 million of each or something yeah. over a million of yeah. each which was a mistake they yeah, should have reco- they should have shipped half a million each I think mm-hmm. that would have that would have helped yeah they said they said that you could walk in record stores and just see them like just through all these racks that look terrible yeah and then and, so. the, and then after the fact you could find them in bargain bands for a buck a piece yeah so but uh, yeah you were talking about the production notes on that song before we started listening to it and I remember I think it was in the Kiss and Makeup their official book where they go through the whole yeah. track list of like every album yeah that's I, a I good really, book I dig that section of the book yeah. a lot especially yeah but I think it was the guy that produced it or whatever said that Gene wanted to redo that part at the end he goes mm-hmm. you're not t- we're not touching we're not doing another pass at that that was your take yeah cause that honest emotion it. and everything yeah, yeah he yeah, wanted that in there yeah all right, so moving on to something a lot more shallow. We're getting back into the <laughs> 80s. 1987, and this was like the height of Joey has MTV. I didn't get MTV till 87. I've talked about that on the show. And Crazy Nights was the album that they were promoting uh, as soon as I got MTV. So I, was, I became even a bigger fan of Kiss. And you know, I was I was that kid that liked all the stuff they were feeding me. I, I liked Bon Jovi and Poison and all that stuff. So of course I'm gonna like Crazy Nights. They're you know becoming more of a follower than a leader. I get it. And this I don't think there's an album less heralded in the Kiss canon probably <laughs> than Crazy Nights. Even more than even more than the Elder or even some of the more recent albums. I think Crazy Nights gets dogged the most. It's one of those fan quotes the band thing. Oh, thin production, blah blah blah. Can I guess what song you're gonna do? Ooh, try. I'll fight hell to hold you. No, a great okay. song though. I okay. love that song. All right. Yeah, no, okay. No. I like um, that. That's a cool song. I'm kind of doing what I did with uh, Thrills in the Night. I'm going with the song that was an actual single, uh. albeit not the title track or Reason to Live. So it could be in one other song. Is a song that Paul co-wrote with Diane Warren, as Paul likes to say, before she was Diane Warren. <laughs> As a song called Turn on the Night. It is an absolute, unapologetic 80s pop rock anthem that got zero radio play somehow. Even though it was made for radio. Yeah. I mean, it's a good song. Very solid pop song. The only thing I could think of is that maybe programmers heard it within the first line because Paul is really going for that high note as much as he did on My Way or anything else or Mm -hmm. I'll Fight Hell to Hold You. And maybe that turned off radio programmers. That's just a guess. But everything else on that song, like I said, yeah, Taylor made for 80s radio. Should have been a huge hit. Don't understand why. They never played it live, even though the video itself was filmed at a concert. Right. But they lip-synced it every time. How sad is that? But (laughs) never played live. 
Yeah, sometimes I think the fans should be Kiss's uh, manager, you know, to tell him what sometimes. to do. <laughs> well, in some instances. Yeah. I, I, the okay. fans okay. say they should do an Me and you tour. should be their manager. How's well, there that? There you go. There you go. I like, I like that. I like that. Because, yeah, I, I understand that maybe an entire elder top-to-bottom tour <laughs> is not the best idea Commercially. for your <laughs> right. bottom line. Right. Uh, but... You know, but you could throw an I or the oath or something. I is another anthem that yeah. they should definitely right. bust out here and there because you know, because it's one of those fist pumping yeah. triumphant songs. That yeah, absolutely. We we definitely talked about that like four years ago on the show, and yeah, yeah. Shame on them for not uh, never playing I right. ever live either. That's yeah, just on one. that show uh, the, the, Fridays. Yeah. yeah, that Friday's performance is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I mean that. they've got all their new costumes and hair and everything, and it's kind of off putting at first because you're wanting Love Gun era Kiss. But then you watch it now and you listen as like that's a pretty rocking performance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, I got to get over back to crazy nights. Yes, yes. Much to the chagrin of some fans. However, <laughs> uh, and this is another reason why why my show is not very popular. But hey, <laughs> turn this one up because come on, if you're in your car right now and you're not turning this up, then you're not doing the right thing. So this is Kiss from Crazy Nights and Turn On the Night. <laughs>
right, so I'm going to take this opportunity. We just listened to Turn on the Night from Crazy Nights. And you know, a song I wish they would play live. I know they'll never play in a million years. I can't even get Crazy Crazy Nights on a consistent basis. Saw it right. on the Sonic Boom Tour. Super happy to hear it. Yeah. And it sounds great on that live version on Kiss 40. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they just they don't feel the need to play that anymore. It's sad but true. But since I have Brett Weiss, author of Encyclopedia of Kiss, sitting here, I want your honest opinion on, let's say, since I talked about, I know you were a fan of Animal Eyes and Lick It Up, mm-hmm. but what do you think about Asylum and Crazy Nights? They're good, kind of hit and miss. Yeah, just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I was still buying, I mean, the peak of my Kiss fandom obviously was during the makeup era, but after that, I still bought every album. I like some of, some of the Gene stuff, kind of left, you know. Yeah you know throughout the 80s like Burn Bitch Burn and stuff like that there were some I mean not that that's on those two albums you mentioned but just throughout that era yeah, kind of hit and miss but, but some really strong songs throughout that era as well so yeah it, that leads into my commentary like you know youth is good you know it's yeah. like so whatever when you're your initial stuff you're always gonna love that stuff well they say when you're 12 that's your golden age and, and you love everything from that time yeah. that was yeah. hit you on the right you know right at the right level absolutely but those are Good records, little hit and miss. I understand so, that. Yeah. Hey, I'm not going to argue anybody who says that. So yeah. I've got I've got a crazy '80s gym coming up later, but until then, let's get to one of your other picks here. Is this your last one or no? This is no, this is number four. Okay, sorry. And my pick is the Dynasty album. Oh, yes, you <laughs> no, can see so, I've got a I've got right. Dynasty poster in the room here. That's so. awesome. Yeah. Now the song from Dynasty is 2000 Man." Ooh. Because 2000 Man" to me is just phenomenal song now i remember when i bought dynasty at the at kmart it was a brand new album at the time so much different than what had come before it it was a little now the solo albums had come out at that point so i was expecting i knew kiss was kind of going a little bit different direction sure and um so i didn't necessarily wasn't expecting you know rock and roll over or kiss or something but i was definitely surprised by the disco sound of it but it was yeah. 1979 i was 12 you know yeah. like we're saying and loved it i thought it was just a great record and i was reading you know back then you know you'd listen to a record and you would stare at the album cover mm-hmm. and i was reading the liner notes and all that stuff and i thought written by keith richards and mick jagger yeah like, I now, even at 12 i knew who they were because you know like i said my brother and sister would do it now like the stones and everything yeah but but it was from an album you know, after I looked into it a little bit, called Their Satanic Majesty's Request. Yeah. Now, I wasn't familiar with that album at the time. Nobody was. Right. <laughs> but now, I'm a huge fan of late 60s psychedelic rock. I mean, yeah. I love all that stuff. And so, I've since, you know, listened to that album a lot. And I like Ace's version, or Kiss's version of 2000 Man actually better than the Stones version. Probably a lot of that has to do just when I listened to it and what yeah. age I was and everything. Sure. But I think it's a stronger song. Yeah. Uh, a, singing it, he took it and made it his own. And I just think yeah. it's got kind of wacky lyrics, but it's kind of it's got that sort of sociological science fiction little sort of semi-storyline that goes with it that I always found appealing. Yeah. And uh, I just think I think it's a great song. And, uh, and Dynasty in general, I can see why, you know, hardcore fans that grew up with them in the 70s were taken aback by that and just said disco sucks and didn't like it. But it hit me at a perfect time. I thought it was great. And Sure Know Something. Love that song. Yeah. Yeah. 
Just some great, great songs on that and, record. And that song gets, I think that song gets a lot of jabs at it for the wrong reason. I was talking about two thousand man. Well, no, just the album in general. Oh, the, Re- I, 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 once again, the revisionist history. Uh-huh. People always call it the disco album. Right. Besides, if you took "I Was Made for Loving You" off that record, people would not. I mean, they wouldn't call it the disco no, album. No, They'd I say mean, it's maybe slicker. The, maybe the pop rock album, or yeah. but not. Yeah, I, and see, "I Was Made for Loving You." I think it's the greatest disco uh, song of all time. Now yeah, right? that might be faint, damning yeah. with faint praise, yeah. but okay. Well, "Dirty Living" also is a disco song. I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, but, but yeah. it's got a little bit of edge. To street, yeah, a little bit. it's yeah. a little street to it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. still, yeah, I think it it gets. It gets dogged for like one song being on there, but you know it's right. it's slick sounding. Vinnie, Vinnie Ponzi is definitely a pop producer mm-hmm. more than a rock producer, and it's probably their fifth or sixth highest charting song ever. Oh yeah, I was made for loving you. Absolutely. But two thousand man is just yeah. such a cool song, and it's got that spacey ace sound to it, which I love with Shock Me and Rocket Ride and all that. So yeah. to me, it fits right in with uh, some of Ace's greatest tunes, like Two Sides of the Coin and all that stuff. Oh, nice. Big Ace fan. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm right there. So with yeah. You. All right, we're going to enjoy this one right now. We'll come back, and I will explain why that's a really good choice for a list like this when we come back.
So assignment the at the uh, bomb factory here recently. Oh yeah, I, I did get to go to that show, that but was... I went to. Okay, we're we're back. That was two thousand man from Dynasty, second track on that record, and done very well on Unplugged, by the way, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that song, and I think that I was gonna say why that song deserves to be on a list like this. Uh, as of current day, that definitely deserves to be on there because you know why? You can go see Ace, and he's not playing that song. Why he's not playing that song? And why in the world does he play Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons Kiss songs on his solo tour? No, I is will, it just to dig at him a little bit? Maybe I don't know. I mean, the one thing there, there's two reasons I think that happens. Number one, it's possible he doesn't want to sing the whole show. I get that part of it. Yeah. However, like when people going to see Ace Frehley in this day and age, they're hardcore fans. 2000 man is like a standard to them and you're not playing it and he's not playing anything off dynasty or unmasked actually and uh you know i went to go see him two times in the last three years Mm -hmm. and the second time that i saw him i thought it was better than the first one Mm -hmm. and i actually had to miss this latest go round. but then i went online the next day and looked at the set list i was like it's the same goddamn Mm -hmm. set list yeah it was the same set list from top to bottom I don't think with any deviation. I think a couple of the big hits got moved around a little bit. Yeah. But it was the same songs. Yeah. Like, and it maybe it's one of those things. Maybe he's taking ownership of some of the solos. Maybe he mm-hmm. really likes the solo in Detroit Rock City. Yeah. But yeah, if you go see Kiss, they're I want to hear more anyway. off his solo album. I want to yeah. hear more of Aces. I want to hear if Ace you know, toured that solo album top to bottom, oh, people would lose their minds. I would. I would camp out. I would go there now and wait for it to happen. Yeah, all you got, all you gotta do. I mean, love it. I even like some of the Fairly's Comet stuff. Mm-hmm. I, if he, I wish he would play Insane. Yeah, I play the solo album top to bottom, and then play Talk to Me, Two Sides of the Coin. Right. You know, any all of the Dynasty on a Mass up. Do Ace Fraley nineteen seventy eight through nineteen eighty. Oh man, that'd be so killer. And even like throwing Dark Light. Yeah, Dark Light is excellent. <laughs> I love then, that song. And then that people would rave about that tour and he could also get a lot of the Kiss fans like Dog and Kiss at the same time, which is what the press loves to right. do. So it'd be like, Oh, they haven't changed their set list in a hundred years. Ace Fraley just went out there, even though he's doing like this one thought Mm-hmm. It still changed his entire set list from the previous tour, and he didn't do that. Like well, that's the thing that kills me about him right now. What's funny about Ace is is during his most prolific era with the band, as far as getting the microphone. Yeah, that's not really viewed as Ace, like classic, the best Ace. Yeah, you know, people look at Shock Me and Rocket Ride and stuff, and kind of forget about Talk to Me and when he had like three songs per album instead of just one yeah. or none. And he has more songs on Dynasty than Gene. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's insane. Hard times and yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hard Times Save Your Love 2000 mm-hmm. man. Gene has yeah. two songs. Save Your Love's not a, I don't think that's that good of a song. It's all right, but if you went and saw him play it live you'd be like oh. that was cool, you know. Well, see, like, that's I funny. Would mark out for that. When I hear songs live can completely change your perception of it. Like I remember when Big Money came out for Rush. Yeah. Don't like the song Big Money on the radio, but man, when they did it live, it freaking smoked. And it's all relative to Ace. Sure. I mean, to say that's not a great song, it's relative to Ace's other great songs. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. Anywho. It, it, yeah. Our, love Ace. Always our, been my favorite Kiss band member. We we definitely spend more time worrying about this than he does, obviously. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. No doubt. Anyway. Um, Going to go over to, we, I did Crazy Nights on the, the last time we went to my list. Moving over to Hot in the Shade. Which, 
uh, I do have an affinity for Hot in the Shade as well. I actually was on the two-part podcast about it. I was that much of a fan of, of this record. In the sense of also the first time I saw Kiss was May 5th, 1990 on the Hot in the Shade tour. So I'm always going to have that soft spot for Hot in the Shade as well. When I reassessed this album a few years ago, and I think it was mostly because I was going to be on that round table, uh, I knew I always liked these songs, but the ones that really stuck out to me, uh, there were a handful of Paul songs. In addition to stuff like Rise to It, which I don't understand why they don't play that. Yeah, it's a cool tune. Rise to It is a fun jam. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least they bust out Hide Your Heart a couple of tours ago, and right. they played it on the cruise. I like the Kiss version and the Ace version yeah, of that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's about 900 cover versions yeah. of that, too. <laughs> Bonnie Tyler. Yeah, I've heard but, them all. But she did, like, the, I think, she did the original one, right? She Wasn't was it written the, for her? I think she was the first one that had a release of it. Okay, like, yeah, it released like, first. By, by a few yeah. days, I right. think. Yeah, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But there's there's some gems on Hot in the Shade, and I will go on record once again saying, uh, number three, You Love Me to Hate You, which is a distant third. Number two, Silver Spoon. Silver Spoon is such a good song, and it's got some things on there. Uh, even vocally and lyrically by Paul Stanley that I really love. It's a, it's an inspirational song, but it's not your atypical Kiss inspiration song where it's about them. It is an autobiographical song, but I feel like it's one of the most genuine Paul songs ever because he talks about rags to riches. Yeah. And if anybody can relate to rags to riches, it's all those guys. No doubt. Uh, but the true gem, I think, on Hot in the Shade is a song called King of Hearts. It's... Uh, the lyrics actually aren't as good, honestly, as Silver Spoon. So this is kind of a tie for first. But I just think the arrangement is super cool. And I don't know, there's just something about this song. I think it should have been a single off of the album easily. Uh, you know, I understand Forever was a monster and everything. There were a lot of potential singles on here. I'm I'm actually glad, and my wife loves "Read My Body." By the way, oh, and uh, <laughs> that's I, probably I, the most vilified Kiss song ever. It, "Read it, My Body," <laughs> like along the line, it's it's almost as vilified as Peter's song on Psycho Circus. Oh and, yeah, found my way to you. Yeah, and Boomerang yeah. off of Hot in the Shade. Which mm-hmm. I, I by the way, I don't get the Boomerang and No 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 hate. Those two speed songs by yeah. Gene, I think they're fun. Like people really dog those two songs a lot, but. I don't see anything wrong with them. It's a good showcase for Bruce and Eric, especially. The instrumentation is not bad on those, but they're yeah. not my favorites. <laughs> but, but they're not like as terrible as I finally found my way. Yeah, they're you're, not, they're not as bad as Burn, Bitch, Burn. <laughs> yeah, Burn, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, just, just because they're more familiar with it is why right. they don't bash it as much. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, just, I just think people, they really dislike those songs, and... I actually, uh, we'll get to Psycho Circus later. I'm, yeah. I'm going to move well, back over to In general, uh, Hot in the Shade's probably the most, one of the most uh, criticized Kiss albums because yeah. it's long. It's got, people say Little Caesars, kind of just a shoe in, not, not a great song. But, yeah. yeah. And, and meanwhile, the original version was like basically the Marvin Gaye cover, made that right. peculiar with like new lyrics on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the only Kiss album that fans have said it'd be better if it was shorter, which yeah. like almost no fan <laughs> yeah, base right. will say that about any album from any band. Yeah, and so many Kiss albums are only like 30 minutes and yeah, something. They definitely need hour. a couple more songs, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, okay. I will definitely say there's some filler on here for mm-hmm. sure. And even Bruce Kulick hated the production on this album. Right, as far yeah, as like, I've read. He said they're all just demos. Yeah. like And... There's that rumor that has never been confirmed, but people are pretty convinced that Eric Singer probably plays on at least one song on that album mm. because he was fresh off the Paul Stanley solo tour. Right. And 
Paul and Gene were working on their songs by themselves. So a lot of people think that there's maybe at least one song that Eric Singer plays on, hmm. which they have never copped to it to this no. day. Uh-uh. But apparently that could be the case. And it's been like Paul and Eric not getting along at, or Paul and Eric Carr not yeah. getting along at that time. Right. That's well documented. So who yeah. knows? Right. Uh, but it's it's been out there, but they have never copped to it, not uh, not once. But I think that's probably to so people won't be mad at Eric Singer because yeah. he gets dogged enough unfairly. No by the way, yeah, he's just a guy. I mean, if if I could play drums for Kiss, I'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd put and on the makeup. And he's super duper talented. He can play any song from any era. You know, well, it's just like he's uh, a great drummer yeah. and he fits in nicely. And he doesn't. He's cool with fans. He yeah. he's got a good sound. Um. 99.999% of people that harshly criticize Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer would do something similar in their own occupation in a heartbeat. Yeah. Do you want a promotion and you have to do this and this yeah. and you'll get a ton more money? Oh, yeah. sure, in a second. Yeah. So they're hypocrites, I think. Yeah, exactly. If they're harsh about it. I can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can say, that's not like Eddie Trunk. That's not my preference. I don't want that. So yeah. that's fine. But if you get per, you know criticize them personally for have, doing their jobs, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Brett Weiss, he speaks the truth here on mm-hmm. Rock Strikes Ten. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious as to uh, your opinion on this song. I'll ask you this when we come back. My personal favorite song off of Hot in the Shade, and it should be hit single. This is King of Hearts. Check it out. Yeah.
the, the great thing about Paul Stanley, no matter what decade he's in, but I think especially around this time, late 80s, every time he has to do the chorus at least three times, he's always going to sing it the best the third time. Hmm. He just It's like a preamble to like the best vocal you're going to get Almost out like of he's him. warming up his voice as he yeah, goes. Yeah, <laughs> as he goes. And, I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah, but that's one thing that's great about Paul. Paul really does. Uh, he's got so much heart and soul and rock and roll in him and... That that's what we love about him. So it's a, that that's the great thing about Kiss is like you know that that four personality thing, mm-hmm. but like Gene's Gene's your dark side and Paul's your romantic side mm-hmm. and and it's basic term. Yeah, but that's that's one thing. thing they lost without Peter and Ace is you got the feral side with Peter and the space side with Ace. You can kind of mimic that and replace yeah. it, but it you don't get the full effect of it without the original four even though Tommy and Eric are singer you know at their jobs good yeah, instrumentalists yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing, that, but that is the one argument that I will entertain about yeah. you know why it's different and why it's mm-hmm. not maybe as good right uh, that's the perfect example right yeah. there because it doesn't really at the end of the day sometimes it doesn't have to do so much with you know what is being played mm-hmm. as what your overall presentation is yeah so you know, it's like if Charlie Watts wasn't in the Stones anymore I would I would definitely feel a loss because yeah. people don't talk about Charlie. Well, he's man. just so steady, man. He just keeps the beat like nobody else. Yeah. Nobody really, he's so underrated because, like they say, Peter didn't have the best timing. Peter Chris didn't have the best timing, but man, Charlie Watts was just like a. I mean, you could yeah. set a you could set a watch to Charlie Watts, man. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> his name should be Charlie. Charlie Watts. Watch. Yeah, <laughs> but even even his lack of interest uh, mm-hmm. on the surface, like when you look watch sort of, him, yeah. his lack of interest is his personality. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> kind of ironically detached. Yeah, I think. Exactly. But yeah, that's that's part of what is cool yeah. about him. This is great. Uh, I'll get off on a tangent here, but my favorite Charlie Watts thing is like there's this interview from like the mid '90s during those strip sessions, mm-hmm. and at one point he just goes. I play the drums of Mick and Keith. That's what I do. You know, like, yeah, I love it. So I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, what is your last pick, Brett Weiss, author of Encyclopedia of Kiss? Pick it up now at your Amazon and BrettWeissWords.com. Well, since I'm covering the original makeup era, and since we're talking about underappreciated songs or hidden gems or dark horses or whatever songs that a lot of people bag on, however you want to say it. I had to put in a song from Music from the Elder, which is probably their most reviled album. Maybe Carnival of Souls is, maybe Hot in the Shade, but Music from the Elder got a lot of guff from Kiss band members themselves, from yeah. critics. I think it's the most initially reviled. Yeah, yeah. I think in retrospect and now... And it sold it's worse like, than any other record up until that point. Yeah. I think yeah. It's, at this point, the overall can, it might be the fifth right. most reviled yeah but yeah no it's right it's it's, it's worth uh talking well, see about. when music from the elder came out it put i was confused i was a kid they weren't on the cover which when you're a kid listening to kiss you got your headphones on you sat in your room and you stared at the albums and, and when you, you were tired of staring at the albums you picked up your kiss magazines yeah you were staring at a door yeah and a table, music sir. from the elder puzzled me to no end <laughs> so i put it on I don't know what I'm listening to. Then Dark Light comes on, and it's a great song. I can really, okay, this is a great song. Yeah. But before that, Just a Boy, I'm like, what in the world is this? Paul singing in falsetto. I yeah. didn't know the word falsetto at the time, but sure. in retrospect. And then Odyssey this, like, after that. Yeah, I was like, what is this? Which Odyssey would be my pick if I was doing uh, Elder, because I actually mm-hmm. like that song. Yeah, I did too. Love the original, too. The, uh, yeah. the Tony Powers version is great. I, and see, when the Elder came out, 
I didn't get it. Yeah. I was a kid. I didn't get it. I, I listened to it. It just didn't connect, and I just kind of put it aside. Well, now, and well, within the last 20 years, I've really grown to love the elder music from The Elder. I think it's a phenomenal record. I think Gene and Paul unfairly bag on it themselves. And uh, Just a Boy is just such a curious pick because he sings. You can look at it as the most cheesiest thing in the world if you want to, or you can look at it how it fits into the storyline of the album. Paul actually, you know, maybe you don't want Paul Stanley singing in falsetto, but he actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. And and that song gets stuck in my head. I find myself humming Just a Boy, you know, just walking around the house singing that song for some reason. But it's an earworm to me, and I just think it's a really cool song on a on an album that has aged extremely well. Yeah, and as someone who appreciates you taking the time to come out uh, here to the Rock Strikes 10 studios on the show this week, I'm going to give you the option here. Would you like it just just a boy, or would you like fanfare to open it up? There's no wrong answer here, but what would you like to hear? You want to hear it cold, or you want to hear it with fanfare? Hear it with fanfare. All right. Yes. You heard the man. Check it out.
right, that winds up Brett Weiss, author of Encyclopedia of Kiss. That winds up his Kiss 5 of unappreciated songs, whether it be songs that don't make the set list anymore or reviled by fans. But that's why he came on Rock Strikes 10 to to be out with it. (laughs) And I'm glad you came on here. That was Fanfare slash Just a Boy from 1981's Music from the Elder. And... Yeah, you could do. There, there's, there's, there's a book out about the elder actually. So yeah, somebody, somebody just wrote, wrote a novel. Yeah, based on the storyline. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd read it. Why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the movie that never was. So yeah, and then that guy that tried to get a Kickstarter for to actually film the movie, mm-hmm. and I think he kind of got shut down. But yeah, but probably that was probably heard from Gene Simmons' yeah. lawyer. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, uh, I heard this. Uh, speaking of other podcasts, I remember. Hearing Lydia Chris, who has her own Kiss book, Sail with a Kiss, and she's got on a ton of podcasts. Yeah. She's, she's a hell of a promoter. But I remember her saying that every book about Kiss gets read by the entire band and their team of lawyers. They actually have a round table sit down. Really? So that means, for sure, your book has been read by Kiss now at this point. That's, that's kind of interesting to hear. See, I've always heard that Gene always wants two copies of every book that comes out that's about Kiss because he's such a hardcore Kiss collector. Sure. But I didn't know they, uh, you know, I didn't know they did that. That's yeah. new to me. She even said despite the fact that she's practically family, yeah, her book still had to go through the scrutiny of a lawyer sit down with the guys and they re- they just read the book page by page and they all read it at the same time. Huh. And so that's well, ha- that's just so that, and you know that makes it worth it though, doesn't it? <laughs> that's pretty cool. But what's interesting is is there's a lot of unauthorized kiss books, but they don't seem I've only heard about one of them being shut down. Yeah. There was one by they just used too much photography from a particular photographer. I don't even remember what the book was. Gotcha, yeah. And it got shut down, but the rest of them now. One thing I have noticed about all the books that none of them have the Kiss logo on them that with the lightning bolt S's, yeah. but most of them have Kiss photos of Kiss. Yeah. Now my publisher, McFarland Publishers, they absolutely refuse to use a, a a cover like a Kiss photo on the cover. Sure. And I said, what if I took the picture myself when I met them? Yeah, <laughs> like no, can't do it. No photo at all. Oh. And so what they did was they produced a generic 80s looking rocker cover yeah. which was the first cover and I finally talked to him and talked to him and talked to him. it's just a silhouette yeah. I finally talked to him and convinced him to put a more Gene Simmons like uh, Kiss cover and what I did was I sent him a picture of a Gene Simmons guy in a cover band yeah. and I said use something approximating this silhouette so it'll look vaguely look like Gene Simmons yeah. and so they finally agreed to that so now in the latest incarnation of the book, the first book is a red cover with a generic looking 80s rocker. The second cover, which but came out just a couple months after the first it, one. At least the guy on the cover looks like he's in mid-outro of Deuce. <laughs> Maybe so, so. I dig yeah. that. So you can right. look at it from that standpoint. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. But they also changed the co- I also suggested they change the colors of the cover to evoke Destroyer. Oh, nice. Just to see, so it's got a multicolored cover with sort of a Gene Simmons silhouette on the cover. And... Um, they also they said don't use song lyrics and don't use photos of the band in the book unless those photos were used for other purposes. So in the book, there's fi- more than 50 photos, but they're of memorabilia, they're of Kiss songbooks. Gotcha. So in, instead of using the Alive 2 cover, yeah. I use the Kiss Alive 2 songbook cover. Nice. Which gets around it but still has those, that photo. Sure, yeah. So yeah. there's, you know, if you're wanting photos, there's over 50 photos in there. And the book is just loaded down with 
minutiae, obscure information, obscure stories, things you haven't heard before. Now, of course, you've got Cadillac. You've got the red and, and orange shoe of Ace. All the iconic stories you've heard of are in there. Yeah. But then there's a lot of obscure stuff in there, like movie and TV appearances you've never heard of, uh, the Peter, the full story of the Peter Chris imposter, uh, you know, just some oddball stories. Nice. And it's A to Z, personnel, uh, girlfriends, family members, road stories, roadies, uh people that played instruments on the songs, replacement musicians that played on Kiss albums, that kind of thing, you know, and it's just loaded down with the, the when I did the three sides of the coin uh, podcast and they were talking, they had read the book before I was on and I was kind of relieved to hear that they enjoyed the book a lot because <laughs> as a writer, you never know you're, yeah. they say every writer is kind of at the mercy. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of self conscious of your writing because you don't know you're too close to it to yeah. objectively yeah. grade your own work. So when you, the reviews start coming in and they're positive, and they've been overwhelmingly positive on this book, you're kind of relieved. Yeah. So well, anyway. Yeah, you had a vision, and you it's its a physical thing that I'm holding in my hand. What got me into it was, thank you, by the way, uh, I was on a, a two, about three years ago, I was three or four years ago, I was just on this tangent, just hardcore reading Kiss books. I was reading their biographies, autobiographies that had come out yeah. by each band member. I was reading some of the, like some of the better books published about the band, yeah. and I thought all this information, all the best information, the most obscure, you know, they need an encyclopedia, yeah. like a concordance of all the of everything where you can find it. And unlike the Grateful Dead, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, all these other iconic bands, Kiss had never had an encyclopedia written about them. Yeah. And so I thought, here's a gap in the publishing industry, and I'm going to fill it. Yeah. So good for you, man. Like I said, I salute you. And this song is very apropos for that. The last song here on this show. I'm not even going to really do a whole long diatribe about this because people that hate this album are always going to hate it. I can defend half of this album pretty easily, but I think it's reviled uh, in revisionist history and stuff like that. But the stuff that's bad about this album is really bad. I get it. But I think there's some inspiring stuff on here as well. So to close out this episode... I'm going to play something off of Psycho Circus, a song that Paul Stanley wrote with the great Holly Knight. This is Raise Your Glasses. Excellent, Tan. Thanks. Underrated.
show so i think that's a great way to end this particular conversation and kiss themed episode with raise your glasses from psycho circus lineup probably on that was paul kevin valentine we know for sure on drums either bruce or tommy on lead guitar we don't know and maybe gene simmons on bass or maybe paul stanley on bass (laughs) or maybe even bruce kulik on bass he did a lot of bass so who knows but at the end of the day I think it's a cool song, and I, 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 you, you said earlier that you like the song Psycho Circus. I like that song alright. Mm-hmm. I think Pledge, Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll and Raise Your Glasses, I think, are more uh, anthem-like. Yeah. And, like, even if they played them live, people wouldn't recognize them maybe uh, offhand. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously hardcore fans would. Yeah. And I don't care what you say about that album. They would be like, oh my god, I can't believe they played that <laughs> if they were there. Right. Well, Raise Your Glasses go, is a fun song. When, I, yeah. when my kids were little... They would always always ask to hear it, and I would in our game room. I would just crank that song up, nice. and they would they loved it. That's awesome. It's just, it's just a fun pump pump your fist song. Yeah. it's mindless. It's not you know it's not Lennon McCartney, but it's it's just a fun fun song that it's just. Uh, I mean, with Kiss, the bottom line is fun. It's always been about fun, and exactly. I think Raise Your Glasses uh, kind of epitomizes that. Yeah. So, um, by the way, once again, Brett Weiss, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you're invited back anytime. If you'd like to come back at some time and do your desert island list, I'd love to Absolutely. Have it's been fun being on, and uh, it's been a great time. Yeah. Go buy Encyclopedia of Kiss. He mentioned earlier he's got some other books. Uh, yeah, I write books about video games, the 100 greatest console video games. You can find that at Barnes & Noble, or you can go online and find it at Amazon. That's in my wheelhouse, because I'm, I'm not hating on it, but I'm not a PC guy. So I'm going to love this book. Yeah, and, it's all consoles, yeah. and it's it's just from 1977 to 1987. So it hits oh. that uh, time period before... Like it's from That's my the, youth, yeah. Yeah, the beginning of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, all the way up to the first two or three years of the NES. You nice. know, so you've got those. You know, you've got everything from those classic Space Invaders type games for Atari Twenty Six Hundred, all the way to like Metroid, Legend of Zelda, and stuff. So nice. it's, it covers a good decade. All right, and like I said, once again, thanks for coming on. Always fun to talk about Kiss. You've been a blast. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time you come over. Sounds like a plan. All right. Hey out there, Rock Strikes 10 listeners. It's me, Joey, here, sitting here alone in post, just about to wrap up this episode. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and apologize for the audio issues. I was a bad producer on this episode. I did not go over house rules. We just kind of sat down and hit record. So I do apologize. That was, uh, and I'm not, I'm not mad at Brett Weiss. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Brett was probably kicking the table or uh, leaning on the table and hitting it a couple of times. And, of course, the guy on the mic, all those bumps you could hear. So that's my bad. I'm taking the fall for that one. So not Brett's fault. Brett was a great guest, and I want to have him back on the show to do his Desert Island at some point here. 
And you should definitely go purchase the Encyclopedia of Kiss. It's a really cool read. As a Kiss fan, uh, as you know, I think hardcore Kiss fans obviously are going to enjoy this most. Uh, but you know, it will definitely help the novice. That's for sure. So it works on both ends. Uh, but yeah, like I said, going back to apologizing for the audio issues, my fault. One of these days, I will get this right. I'm only like 224 episodes into this. One of these days, right? But hey, I do want to thank you for tuning into the episode here this week. I know I've had a lot of guests here on the show, and I, I hope you've enjoyed the guests. I've enjoyed having them on. I always do. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of solo episodes coming up. We'll get into some new music finally again for 2016. That's coming up, but that should be the next episode. And also got a new odds and ends list coming in. I know some of you out there have been asking me for more odds and ends. So coming up, uh, the next two episodes, that should be the next two episodes right there. So thank you once again for tuning in to Rock Strikes 10. Please go to cnjradio.com for further information where you can get all the episodes of Rock Strikes 10, including also part of the cnjradio.com family, the Synaptic featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative, and Chris's blogs on Wrestling House Show and Last Theater on the Left. Enjoy cnjradio.com for all things rock culture. Yes. And last but not least, before we get out of here, extra special thanks to Pete and the guys from Spacebeard for the outro. Please go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband for further information. Tell them Rock Strikes 10 sent you and pick up their new album, Gone. It's excellent. You will hear a track from it on the next episode. All right. Until the next one, have fun. <laughs>